I want to again open by thanking all of you who are part of the Home Run Club, who listen to this CD every month, and many of you are also downloading this from a podcast on our website. I thank you for that, and I trust you will be ministered to. And today I'm entering to a second part of what I shared uh, last month. And in that particular speech, I talked a little bit about loving as Christ would love, especially related to some of the issues that we're dealing with in our society. And today, uh, I have the privilege of sharing live with three of our counselors. We were on a stage in front of an audience, about a thousand people or so, and we had the privilege of talking about how to care for our children, minister to our children, reach out to our children in the society that they're dealing with today. You're going to be told some things as a parent that can be shocking. Maybe as a grandparent, your grandchild will say something to you and you want to react, but you need to have wisdom in knowing how to react. And so I have with me today three counselors. I'll introduce them as we begin the speech. And they have uh, done a lot of counsel and guidance for parents and teens who are going through some challenging times in family life. And so we're going to join that particular speech live. Uh, I'll again introduce you to our three counselors, and I'm thankful to all of you who support us and help us do what we do because you make this sort of stuff possible, and I trust it will minister to you and encourage you as you listen to today's Home Run Club. Well, tonight uh, is going to be just kind of a discussion format. Uh, you are going to meet three counselors that are part of the Winning at Home team. Uh, I'm a pastor I'm not a professional counselor. And there's a big difference in the two. I'm part of an organization also called American Association of Christian Counselors. There's like 50,000 counselors across the nation. And every now and then I get to go speak to them. And when I say, I'm a pastor, not a counselor, they literally start clapping. Uh, because sometimes as pastors, we feel we're supposed to have all the answers and be able to give you all the right answers and that kind of thing. And I can tell you spiritually, Pastor Bernie and I feel very comfortable along with Pastor Duane, answering your questions about spiritual things. But there are sometimes issues that are clinical that people who are trained and wise like these three ladies give a lot of help and counsel to. So I want you to know that tonight as they come, they come, first of all, as spiritual ladies. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. I know them all very personally. And I get to watch their life as they walk along with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know they come understanding they are first spiritual beings, but then they are clinical people who sometimes work with our brain and help it understand and, and think things and understand things maybe that we don't normally understand. I want to introduce them to you. First of all, on, on my right and your left would be Sarah. Sarah is, uh, Sarah Young is her name. Sarah is a sex therapist. This woman, honestly, is probably the smartest person I know in the area of sexuality. And her husband's a pastor over at Central Wesleyan Church, where I pastored for many, many years. And together they make a mighty impact for the Lord. But I'm telling you, God has gifted this woman. When she gets up, listen to me, listen to me. When she gets up and starts speaking about sex, first of all, she's a woman. So every man in there is just in awe that there's a woman talking about sex. But she is gifted at pulling out Scripture and giving guidance in this area. So she is just very gifted and talented lady, and we're thrilled to have her part of the Winning at Home team. In the middle is Teresa Gargala. Teresa has been with us how many years, Teresa? I don't even know. Seven or eight years. Uh, the biggest thing I could do to say anything about Sarah would be to tell you she is my family's personal counselor. Uh, she has walked with us. Many of you know the story of my daughter. She's the lady that walked us through the, the pain, the hurt. She is meeting with my daughter right now. She has made an impact on Anna's life that for her, she knows how I feel, I will be forever grateful. 
And so she's my personal counselor. <laughs> so y'all can't get any appointments with her. She's busy with our family. But that's who she is. <laughs> the next is Sarah Ingram. Sarah's been with us a, a little over a year. Sarah uh, is going to begin tonight this conversation with me. Sarah uh, is really gifted with adolescent and young adult issues. So teenagers, young adults who are coming to our office. And this is the topic we're going to start with tonight. Um, she is gifted and very godly at guiding people in the right directions. One of the greatest things Sarah has said to me before is, I love to help young people understand that their identity is not found in their sexuality. Their identity is found in the Lord Jesus Christ first. And that is, that is one of the great traits she has and she brings to the team. And so tonight, I'm just going to get the conversation started by talking to her and asking her a question. Because she, of all the panel up here, she would be the one who probably most often deals with what's happening in our culture right now. Winning at home, from 20 years ago to now, the thing that would be coming through our door is this. A young man or young woman who's feeling they are um, either bisexual or they're homosexual or they're lesbian. And they're moving into that sort of relationship. And I said to Sarah, here's what I said to her, Sarah, these people knock down our door to come and talk to you. And I said, what is it about you uh, that makes them so comfortable? I said, because every parent, and some of you parents in here, have had a child come to you and say to you, hey, mom and dad, I am attracted to the opposite sex. And you don't know how to handle that. So we're going to start with Sarah. So talk to a parent who is here tonight, who is that very thing. That's what their, their child has come in and told them. Give some advice, some tips to parents on how to first respond to what that kid's saying. Well, I figure you have three choices. So the first choice I think that we come up to, to grips with is that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, no. You know, my child is going to become my worst nightmare. That catastrophe is finally at my door. My worst fear is concerned. And here we go. Uh, what am I going to say, right? That fear, that we are so triggered when we hear that. And so sometimes we go into anger mode where we're just saying, no, that's wrong. You can't be that, right? I got to say, that's actually maybe the last option you've got. You've got two more to, to, to come by. The second one would be more along the lines of, wow, this is a this is a big, important moment for you. Let's talk through this. Uh, obviously, I've got thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts first. I want to know what's going on in your world that makes you think this way, that makes you feel this way. That What's going on? Where did this start? If you come at it from an invitation to relationship, if you come at it from saying, wow, this person trusts me enough to say this, you should be clapping yourself on the back by saying, wow, I did a good job. My child is coming to me with this problem instead of just their peers. Now, granted, they're going to go to their peers and talk about it too. But we can rejoice and say, this is an opportunity for God to enter into this relationship in a way that we haven't yet before. It's huge. So thank you for coming to me and talking to me about this. Yes, maybe a counselor might be called for, but let's first say thank you for having the courage and to not saying I'm going to keep this in my shame box and never pull it out, okay? And then the third option might be because you recognize that you're freaking out a little bit to take a break and you don't have to immediately enter in, <laughs> The, the temptation will be to go into that knee-jerk response, and instead you might say, wow, that's a great, great conversation starter. We've, we've got things to talk about. Thank you for sharing that 
with me. I got to say, I've got some teenagers who tend to share things within like the last two minutes of our session. They'll just pop it out. And I'll have to kind of say, wow, that's great. Let's cover that next time. And you do have the right as parents to say, let me think and pray about that first. Let me calm my own heart and spirit down. Let me seek the Lord's guidance on how to talk this over with you. And then let's set aside a time. It could be a breakfast. It could be a walk around the park. But what you're doing is you're saying, I respect you enough to have to think and pray about this, and then we can talk. Because let's face it, you may not have been expecting it, but it's okay, all right? When you go at it from that second and third option, your body language changes, the invitation for conversation and listening happens, they feel respected, if you come at it from the first, they will shut down. And that's when the problems start coming. That's when we start trying to control the behavior and the outpouring of whatever it is that they're trying to communicate. So that's well, sort of give, my give first. Well, give me a tip because I'm sitting, I'm, imagine I'm a parent who's going through this. So I'm sitting there and I don't like the way the conversation is going. Give me some more tips, ideas on what I can do to handle that the right way. Because you obviously have the same thing happen in the office. You, sure. don't, you don't like the road they're going down. What do you do when the road they're going down isn't the one you're wanting to go down? Here's the thing. Sometimes you got to join them on their road. you got to get off your road for just a quick moment and say, hey, let's talk about your road for a moment. Let's join the, thorn, the thorns and thickets of your path. Let's walk this path. Let's see where it goes. Let's talk through this. When you come at it from that, you may still disagree. I'm not rejecting that at all. But when you come at it from the point of relationship over the point of being right, you will invite so many more opportunities for them to listen, to hear what you have to say. You're building capital. And let me say, teens tend to think in terms of bite-sized chunks, right? So I'll be having a conversation with a teen and you know, maybe five, 10 minutes, and then we'll move on to a, a separate issue. So for you, it's just recognizing that it's not over in one conversation. This is built up over a number of years where you are continuing to have that conversation and inviting them to share their thoughts. You can then, because you have listened to them first, you can then enter in with compassion and say, hey, let's pray about this together. Let's seek what the Lord, Lord has to say about it. Sarah, you got your mic in here and you want to pitch in a thought? Um, you know, there, there is that element of what am I supposed to do with everything going on inside of me? What, all of those are valid things. And so there's the, uh, it has to go on the shelf. It's them first. And the temptation to enter in with correction or condemnation or criticism, instead moving in with curiosity and clarifying questions and just being an ally in that moment, even if you feel like suddenly there's a villain sitting in front of you. But your grief matters too. Your anger matters too. So it's, it's not ignoring that, but it is the timing of okay, you first, and I will be dealing with my own heart as I walk this road with you. That's good. Tracy, you want to add anything? You can grab your mic. Well, I typically don't work with parents of young children. Some, yes, but, but the questions that come up surrounding this topic tends to be more like, this is wrong. How do I deal with my sister who's, who's going through um, a sexual identity issue? 
a gender issue. Um, this is like a sin. So how do I take it from that standpoint? And what comes to me, who all out there remembers Billy Graham? <laughs> He's an old, hey, that's exciting. Okay. So Billy Graham said something a while ago, quite a while ago, that has always stuck with me as far as how we relate to people who are struggling. If it's our children, if it's our siblings, if it's our parents, if it's our friends, if it's our brothers and sisters at church. He says it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's our job to love, right? So how do we love? I mean, Dan did a beautiful job last week. I hope most of y'all were here. Um, he did a really beautiful job of explaining that, where we start thumping the Bible, right, and trying to get people to um, come to what makes us comfortable, right, because this scripture says it, and that right there, you're breaking down relationship. Again, if it's with your children or with your coworkers or whomever it is, you have to earn a right, right, before your voice can be heard, and that most always happens with love first. Yeah, as you guys are talking, one of the things that comes to my mind is right now the latest research and studies are showing the frontal lobe is the last, I've mentioned this here in a sermon before, the frontal lobe of your brain is the last part of the brain that matures. And so when a child is 16, this frontal lobe, if you think of it as sensors or whatever, they, like yours, you know, as you get 40, 50, these things touch each other. When you're a teenager, these things are just kind of here. And they're going all over the place. That's why, you know, I say teenagers get on top of a car at 50 miles an hour and go, this is really cool. And we're looking going, you idiot, because we touch. They don't. And so, you know, you got to remember one of the things Teresa's saying there reminds me. She helped me with our daughter going, hang on a minute. She's only got a couple of the, She's not at the level of maturity to understand some of the thinking. And, and Sarah, I want you to go uh, first, Sarah, here. <laughs> first as opposed to third, Sarah. Um, first, Sarah, here. I remember when we were talking about this in my office a little bit, you said one of the temptations, because this would be true for me, uh, all of us sitting in here, probably most of us in here, believe the Word of God. So the temptation, first of all, is to go, well, the Bible says, and you said to me, for the students you work with, just keep talking a little. I'm not sure I remember what I said. Well, well you, just talk, you <laughs> talked about how that's probably not the first place to start. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't think that God wants us to use the Word of God as just sort of a pound them into a submission moment, right? One of the key descriptors of Jesus in the Gospels is compassion, not I am right, hear me roar, right? Yeah. So when we enter in with compassion and recognize, you know what? When I was 15, I was trying to figure out who I was in this world too, and I was starting to maybe push away from my parents because I didn't necessarily wanted to fall into that box and just have my life written out for me. But that's a, the beauty of adolescence, right, is exploring and figuring out, okay, who am I? What does God want from me? What does my sexuality look like? I mean, these are good questions to celebrate and say, wow, it's time to have a real conversation. So yeah, I'm glad you brought up about the, the brain. I mean, when, when we're talking to teens, we have to recognize that all teens are in crisis mode. Their amygdala, their fight, flight, freeze mode is lit up like a Christmas tree. Wait, explain that a little. You yep. said a lot there. Sorry, what big is words. Yeah, well, you're a psychologist. So what he was talking about is that our brains from birth, we start with the amygdala. We start from the back. And the amygdala is just a little peanut. 
And basically it says, I'm hungry, so I'm going to cry. I'm lonely. I need somebody to touch me. I need eye contact. I need these core things to help me feel safe and secure. However, as we grow, it starts expanding. And during the teen years, it's, they've actually correlated it from two years, the two-year-old and what the brain development does to a two-year-old with the brain development of like a 13, 14-year-old. It's almost identical in terms of the explosion that happens. And when it explodes, what the brain does is it, it's called arborization. So arbor, as in a tree, it starts branching out and it starts reaching out. And the reaching out is them sort of exploring and saying, oh, what's that over there? Let me look at that. Oh, what's that over there? My, my friend is talking to me about this. My uncle is saying this. And they're starting to put connectors together, but they don't have that little part, actually it's a big part, in the front of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, where they can start making those connectors and make logical, rational decisions. They don't have it yet. They don't have it until they turn about 25 years old. And so because of that, we have to have a little bit of compassion that says, you know what, you don't have all the answers and that's okay, but I'm glad you're asking the right questions. Let's explore those questions together. I'm not gonna condemn you, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna hear what your thoughts are. Let's face it, the culture around us has a lot to say. Let's talk about that. When you do that, you become sort of a surrogate prefrontal cortex. You become someone who can step in, and that's kind of what counselors do, especially with teens. They become that surrogate that says, let's put those connectors together. Mm. Let's see where this goes. And a parent can do that if they're patient and give guidance. Absolutely. But that's good. Sarah, I want to ask you a question uh, related to sexuality because, you know, in general, in the church, even me saying the word tonight, there would be 10 people who is just uncomfortable hearing the word. Why are we so stinking bad at talking about that issue in the church? I mean, you, when she speaks, it's almost amazing how she uses scripture just to relax you and help you see, oh my goodness, this is the same. I have finance issues, I have sexual issues, whatever. She makes it just so comfortable to talk about, and it's because you've studied it and you understand it. But for a lot of parents tonight, even discussing sexual things with their kids, it's very uncomfortable. So talk about that a little. Give us some tips and ideas on ways to do it. Why are you so good at it? <laughs> I mean, you know. um, well, I think to authentically enter in well, with your kids, with people in your life you love, you have to take a look at your own sexual history. And you know, what was, it, what was taught in your household? How did your parents present sex? My parents gave me a book and there was never a discussion. Um, my, my husband's parents, it was a completely different. Open conversation, invitation. What did you grow up with? And what kind of sexual history is there? What were the characters in your sexual past? Was there pain? Was there violation? Did you grow up in the church? Did you have pastors that just said don't? Don't before you're married. Don't. Because what happens then is there's this light switch that's off and suddenly it's assumed to be on, off and on. And there's, there's no room for questions or curiosity. It's just wrong, mm. dirty, bad, only for married people. If all you've heard is the religious don't or that this is something that we don't talk about with heterosexual relationships that are expected, if you will, within the context of traditional marriage, then to explore anything that veers from that, whether there are sexual issues, gender issues, 
there's just no language for it. Your brain, your head, your heart, they don't, they don't have anywhere to put it. So of course there's discomfort of, I don't, I don't feel like I have anything to offer here except maybe don't or wrong because those were so often the words and the context connected to your experience of what sex was or wasn't. Additionally, if all you've heard is don't, but never heard why beyond it being a behavioral issue, mm. what does that teach you about the heart of God? It's invitation. It's not restriction. It's God saying, don't because this is my first best for what sex is supposed to look like. Don't because I'm inviting you to a relationship where this is present that doesn't have regret and shame. And I never designed you to feel any of that stuff. So God's heart is all about invitation. And when it comes to Bible thumping, piggybacking off of Sarah, our kids don't care what the word says if they don't trust the author of the scripture. So it's about showing the goodness of the heart of God, the, the just, the compassion, the, hey, I have a first best for what this looks like, the, all the realities of God, and that his word can be trusted because he is good. So back to our own individual interpretation of, of why, why is that difficult? What do I do with this? Start with looking at your own story. Where is there pain? Where has there been restriction? And your own sexual healing, congruency, the, the dots making sense. Maybe you don't have answers about your own story. So it's terrifying to think of entering into that story of your child, of your friend. And a lot easier for a lot of us to hide behind religion, don't. Because I, I know how to do that. Um, so... It's about being curious internally first so that you can be curious externally in all of these other relationships. Thank you, Sarah. And then, uh, Teresa, I'm going to ask you a question. So one of the things that a lot of family members here are experiencing is they have someone in their family who have a sexual identity. They've chosen maybe a lifestyle that doesn't align with God's Word, etc. And they just aren't comfortable around them. I mean, because that can be really uncomfortable, have a member of the family who comes to this group or that or comes over your house, et cetera. One of the things that you need to know, Teresa does, is she goes to a gathering of people who are struggling with these issues, and she makes herself available to all of them, puts herself right in the context of it, and lives in it. What have you learned from doing that? And give us some tips on dealing with a family member who maybe has chosen a same-sex relationship, which we don't believe aligns with what God's Word teaches. Give us some ideas on how to love them, be around them, even when we don't agree. Yeah, yeah. That's really, really good. And it, it really kind of touches on what Sarah and Sarah have been talking about. We really want to get in touch with our own shame. We want to recognize that we all have a construct. We all have a belief system. We all have this, um, this feeling against or for, most against, the LGBTQ community. And if you have a position, an orientation of this is what's right and that's what's wrong, right there you're breaking down the relationship. So I would say to them, look at your own issues in that. Like, how does it make you feel as a mother if your son says, I'm gay, mom? What does it feel like if you're a dad who's what you thought was a little boy says, I'm actually a woman and I have a penis and I don't identify with that. And that's really, really uncomfortable for me, right? That's 
really difficult and where this anger pops in and where our um, disconnection that Sarah Young is talking about is, is that we can't connect with that part of us that feels bad because we have a child who is something that we don't understand. And so there's a lot of work that we can do with that. And it's not about, and this is really, really important, I think, to understand. It's not about agreeing with the situation. It's about accepting it. And here's the difference with acceptance. And I want you to think about this from a couple of different places. Like this political climate that we've been in for a year plus, right, has been really, really charged. We don't have to agree with somebody's political convictions to accept that they have the right to choose whom they want to support, right? We don't have to agree with somebody who um, is choosing to love somebody that doesn't make sense to us and scares us and, and dysregulates us and freaks us out, right? But we can accept the fact that they have a right to choose whom they want to love. And culture, that's another one as well. I mean, it's West Michigan, we don't have a lot of cultural diversity. But just because somebody does something different, we don't have to necessarily understand it. We don't have to necessarily get it, agree with it, but we can accept the fact that they have a way of living their life, right? And so all of those fall under the larger umbrella and the construct of God's love. And that's where arguments ensue, but when we're in relationship with people, we want to build relationship and not argument. Right, and so back to love, back to asking questions, back to dealing with why that's so difficult for us, right? To have somebody in our life, in our family, that is living in such a way that makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. So you're, you know, when you have that person, you're not, you're not saying I agree with your lifestyle. Correct. You're just saying, but I still love you. Correct. Yeah, and that's what Jesus did. Yes. Yeah, that's what he did, yes. and he still. You know, in the end, he would say to him, now go and sin no more. You can yeah. share your thoughts. But that doesn't mean you turn it into a, yeah, I don't hate you because exactly. of this. That's huge. Yeah. Any y'all want to add anything to that, Sarah or Sarah? <laughs> Sarah or Sarah? I almost thought naming all three of them Sarah tonight make it easy. Hey, Sarah, what do you think? You know, but <laughs> you have any other thoughts, Sarah, about that? No? Okay. Well, my then I would like to move into a little bit just helping... Uh, Again, I think parents are in here tonight, Sarah, and, and this is a difficult topic. How often would you right now be having someone come into your office saying, I'm identifying same-sex or whatever? How often? Uh, every day. I mean, I mean every it's, day. it's every week at the very least. Um, so what are their kids being exposed to at school? Right, for sure. Uh, I mean, I think they, they just did a poll where they said uh, it was sort of a nationwide high school poll in particular where they asked how many identified as heterosexual or straight. And 40% identified as heterosexual or straight. Meaning, it's not that suddenly 60% are something else, but that kids no longer want to be defined in those terms, and so they constantly are kind of rejecting it and trying to explore what that means. I mean, let's face it, we're surrounded by it, and uh, when it comes to cultural norms, it's everywhere. And so, of course, they're going to be exposed to this at a very, very young age. No matter how hard you want to protect them, these terms, these ideas, these thoughts are going to show up. And most people say it's around age eight. 
And because of that, I mean, pornography is just that much more available now with smartphones. And these are the conversations that we have to have earlier and earlier. And so therefore, some of the issues that maybe you were faced with in college a decade ago are now happening in high school and middle school age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so a parent sitting out here today that says, Sarah, give me some tips on how to keep communication open with my child, my 8-year-old, my 13-year-old, whatever. I want them to come to me. I might not want to hear what they got to say because they're going to tell me something I don't really want to hear. But what are some tips you would give parents to keep that relationship open so they will talk to their parents? Time and again, all I talk to parents about is come home, put down your phone, spend time with your kid. When you are in a car with them, they're trapped. This is great. (laughs) You can tell them, hey, how was your day? Tell me the best part of your day. Tell me the worst part of your day. Let's talk. I'll share you my worst part and my best part, too. That's where the gold happens, is let's spend time together. I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we lead very busy, very chaotic lives, and so sometimes I'll look at a parent's schedule and say, can you just offer 10% of your day to your child if you want to change their behavior, if you want them to buy into this process, that's what it's going to take, is that 10%. I know you're tired. I know you're stressed out. Totally right there with you. But 10%, you can do it. Let's figure out where that comes. It could be in the car. It could be right before bed. You're just checking in, seeing how things are going. It could be in the mornings. It could be a lot of different things, but what is your 10%? So are you saying that because when you talk to these students, et cetera, you're hearing them say, I don't get time with my parents? You bet. Really? Oh, absolutely. You'd be surprised how many teens are like, yeah, I would like more time with my family. Because we're sitting here thinking teens don't want to talk to their parents. No, it's not true. Okay. Now, they might come out and say, I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do that. But So that might be an opportunity so for you to say. So they want time their way. Right. Okay. And that's okay. I mean, what are their hobbies? What are their interests? Maybe you need to join them. You know, I tend to be more on this sort of, like, music creative side. But if I've got a client who's super into sports... I am the least sporty person out there, and I'm okay with that. But, man, do I get engaged in their latest game, and do I want to hear about the score and what happened, and let's talk about that. Let's get interested in what they're interested in because that's where relationship happens. That's good. Teresa, are you thinking anything there? Because I was looking at your face. No. No. No, I could could talk. Well, go ahead. There was something that I wanted to add on to Sarah Ingram's talk when she was sharing a little bit about the amygdala and kids and then the, the arboring, right? The brain connecting, the pruning and coming together. What's important to remember is that all of us, it doesn't matter if you're a kid or a teenager or an adult or a senior citizen, we all have that fight or flight response and shame activates the fight or flight. So if you're Can engaging- Can you explain fight or flight? Can you explain yeah, that a minute? Yeah, so, so again, well, I'll start, with, I'll start with shame. Shame is- at its basic root, a belief that says, I'm not enough. I'm intrinsically not okay. I'm not thin enough, pretty enough, smart enough, fast enough, full of muscles, intellectual, and like all of that. Like we all have shame, all of us, right? We left the Garden of Eden where we walked with the Lord naked and unashamed. That was emotional and physical, right? So we, we ain't there anymore, right? So we are filled with this. And when we're in shame, when a child says, hey, 
I'm this or I'm that or I'm, or I'm um, not going to do that, right? We kind of flip a switch. We go into shame because that's holding up a mirror. Uh-oh, I'm not a good mom. They're disrespecting me. Or I'm not a good dad. And so we're not acting out of our wise mind, out of that prefrontal cortex. We're operating out of the limbic system that Sarah mentioned. And fight or flight is the response. We either shrink, get really small and don't do much, let our kids walk all over us. We can um, hustle, right, and try to like, hey, we're going to do something really fun to try to win back, curry favor. Or we fight back. Parents love to do that one. <laughs> with their kids. It's like a kid will do this and then the parent will power up. Why? Because we're the parent. That isn't helping anything because we're activating each other's shame. We're then connecting in this monkey brain, right? That, that just reactionary fight, flight, freeze part of our brain. And you cannot have productive, healthy conversations if you're in that place. Mm. And so it doesn't have to look like something really big. It can be something small that activates our shame and trust me, if your child comes home and says they're, they're struggling with the binary, male, female, or they're struggling with gender identity, you're going to get flipped, right? Mm -hmm. So you breathe, you try to calm your brain down, that's going to oxygenate the prefrontal cortex, and you're going to have more access to healthy ways of connecting and that's relating. Good. good, thank you. Mm -hmm. Sarah? I want to say, too, that when your child comes and possibly says something like, um, I'm a lesbian, okay? That might mean something totally different to your 14-year-old than it means to you. Mm. You know, mm. we have these defaults in our head of, well, gay means this, this, and this. Not necessarily. There is a whole spectrum of definitions and descriptions. And so then to come back with a question, Okay, what, did, what does that mean to you? And you might get the eye roll. You might get the, seriously, Mom, you have to ask. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I want to know what, what this is like for you. Um, so ask. Be curious. Describe rather than label. Because if you hear label and they're just describing something they can't figure out, immediately there's more shame of like, oh, well, suddenly you're not safe. So Help them describe. Ask questions. Spectrum. It's not it's good. straight, bi, gay. It's not male, female, trans. There's a whole spectrum within that. So being curious from that place of calm. That's good. Sarah, at the beginning when I started, I said that you were really good at walking someone, a teen, because I've seen you do it, you've talked about it. So a student comes in, and they're focused on their sexual identity, and you eventually get them to their identity in Christ. Can you talk to parents about uh, the mechanism, that how that happens, and, and things you do to make that happen? Well, I think it varies from person to person, right. just the way God speaks our language. I mean, each one of us has a very different faith walk when it came to how we approach the cross and how we got to that point of repentance and understanding who we were in Christ. So maybe we need to be a little more creative and less sort of black and white on how it happens. God can use a number of things, a number of experiences. You know, as part of even this whole conversation is allowing them to fail and not trying to fix the problem, mm. is trying to say, okay, you're going to choose this. I'm going to try and protect you as much as I can. But at the same point, I recognize that you're becoming an adult. So 
I'm going to take a deep breath, and that shame is going to be activated, and that fear and that catastrophizing that's happening in my brain that says, oh, no. Do what you need to do, but just recognize that I can't always affirm what you do, but I accept and love who you are because you are a child of God. So we'll walk through that. We'll talk through what, what brings them to this point in time where they believe that's true. Um, we will eventually bring scripture into that conversation when they give you permission, because they will, because they're asking those questions too. They get it. They understand that there's some dissonance there. But you've got to allow them and help them to do it in their own way and on their own terms and in their own language. Because, again, what she was talking about is we're going to start pushing our own language and expectations on it and try and control the outcome. But let's face it, and this goes back to what Teresa was saying, we're not, that's not our job. I mean, your job as parents is to raise them up into adults, but not to maybe fix or save them from their bad choices. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's God's job. You're going to pray like crazy, no doubt about it. (laughs) You're going to have those conversations when the time calls for it. But at the same time, let's take it day by day. Let's do it one conversation, one short spurt at a time. And again, it happens very differently from person to person. So I don't really have a cookie cutter. Right, no. Yeah, I get that. Um, But But, but you would say just that process of listening, walking alongside them. Because one of the things I was going to say to you is, if you had to throw a percentage on it, it's hard to do that. But if you had to throw a percent, no. Students who come in yeah. who are saying they believe they may be attracted to the opposite sex, et cetera, how often would you say that some of that's just coming from confusion, right. media, well, et cetera, et cetera? I don't have to say that. They have done studies on this. They okay. say about 80 to 90% okay. of the kids who question or state, uh, you know, I am a lesbian or I am pansexual or whatever their label is, that they end up changing because the brain obviously isn't fully connected. And I said some crazy stuff when I was 15 too, you know? So part of it is just saying, hey, you know what? I'm not going to freak out yet. Yeah. We'll just see how this goes. Okay, that's good. Well, you can see, like, our time's done, but you can see here from just listening to them talk, what they're telling you is connect with your kid. Connect with the people in your life. Just have a conversation. By connecting doesn't mean you're agreeing. Remember last week in the sermon, if you weren't here, I preached about how Jesus, he showed love. His love didn't mean I confirm it. Remember I said salvation is conditional. Love is unconditional. So love the people in your family unconditionally. That's what I gave to my daughter. Even when she was making poor choices, I would always say to her, no matter what, you will not stop me from loving you. She knew I didn't agree with her choices, but I did show love. And that love eventually is what we pray will win them and, and be an example of Christ to our children. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of wrap this up in prayer, and then they don't know this, but I'm going to make them available. They'll go right down here at the bottom, and they'll stay here, and you don't even have to pay for this. Uh, um, <laughs> They'll be available to talk to you a little bit. If you have a student who's in this situation or you have some other issues, um, please come down and talk to Sarah, Teresa, and Sarah. Will you help me thank them for just coming and giving their time tonight? Thank you, ladies. And so now, Lord, we just put this night in your hands. What we really heard was build relationship, build relationship with the people in your life. And Lord, for many of us in here, we got people in our life, we would love to see them closer to you, and, and we know how they could get there, but just like we just heard, it's a process for some, and we need to continue to pray and stay on our knees and humbly submit those we love to you. 
uh, take tonight, encourage some parents who are here to continue to press into the life of their children with love and grace and mercy. And Lord, all of us, every one of us in here, want our children to know heaven is our home. And so call those who are wayward back to you. Uh, those who are walking close to you, Lord, protect them. And may your grace and mercy be what we see in our homes and our families. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As I wrap this up, let me thank you again for being a part of the Winning at Home family, for taking time to listen to the things we offer, the podcast or the CDs you're receiving. We trust that the words we share are helping you, helping you reach others, helping you reach your own family. That's our goal, to help you at all ages and stages of family development to become more Christ-centered in your home. That's it, in a nutshell. And so I pray that happened for you today. And I ask the Lord to continue to guide you and lead you as you reach others. I actually want to pray that prayer, that you will help us to reach those who maybe feel unreachable or untouchable. Help us to be people who show your grace and your mercy and your love and also hold to your standards so that people have the truth and can apply that to their life. We love you today, and we give this to you. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. Thanks so much again for being a part of the Winning at Home family.